East-West Draftcast may not be suitable for all listeners. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the East-West Draftcast. My name is Greg Smith. I'm one of your hosts on this episode, and joining me on the line is another guest host, not your typical Jeff McDonald uh, appearance, but uh, Ryan Hogan's joining us for a, a quick one tonight. Definitely not your typical Jeff, but no, I will try and replace him. Much taller, Big shoots. more bearded probably than Jeff. Ooh, he's definitely got me on the mustache. I think I've got the beard edge, but <laughs> I think that's pretty much a wash in terms of manliness nowadays. Yeah, I mean, one or the other. I mean, as long as you got one, you're good. Yeah, we'll just have to compare dicks later and see who wins the draw. <laughs> <laughs> this draft right. cast may not be suitable for all audiences. Um, so yeah, Jeff couldn't join us this week, mostly because he hasn't played enough of the set to feel comfortable talking about Dragon's Maze with us. And uh, I wanted to get something in to, to get you, the listener, uh, something on the East-West Draftcast front, because it's been a little too long since we've recorded anything. And um, so I want to dive right into it, Ryan. I want to talk about Dragon's Maze. What are your first impressions? Uh, I mean... We, we were just talking right before we started about how, like, it's been a while since we were kind of excited to play Magic. Yeah. And yeah, Magic as it is for us. Sure, because um, we're, we're not really constructed players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know you, you dabble in it when you, say, have to show up to the Pro Tour or <laughs> go to Grand Prix here and there. <laughs> Some of us just don't have that obligation. Are you humble but, um, bragging for me? <laughs> someone has to do it, buddy. You are way too humble. But, oh, um, man. but yeah, yeah, it's a... Uh, it's been a time. Um, you know, we were just saying that, you know, last year we had that uh, steaming pile that was absent restored and uh, right into Corset. And, like, that was a spring-summer where, you know, I guess if there's two seasons where you don't need magic as much as other seasons, you know, us living in California, it's fine that those were the bad sets, you know. Life was to be lived outside of the magic world. But I had a lot of good camping in last summer. Let's put it yeah. that way. <laughs> a lot more camping than you normally would, something like that. But uh but yeah, yeah, I was just I was and I think a lot of people were just kind of down on the limited formats. The draft formats were uh either very linear as you'd expect in core sets uh or surprisingly so in the standalone expansion. I know we all had high hopes for Absent Restored since it was the last of a block standalone, and the last time, the only other time that we had this, right, was with Rise of Eldrazi, which is arguably the best draft format of all time. So going from those two bad sets to uh, to Return, which turned out to be pretty good, I think all people would say it was definitely linear as you were drafting. Um, you're trying to get into guilds, and there are certain guild strategies that proved to be much more viable than others as the format was figured out. Poor, Gol- and, uh, poor Golgari. Poor Golgari. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it had enough defenders that I I never shied away from Golgari. But <laughs> <laughs> enough dumb things to do. But uh, but yeah, like that was fine. And the gate crash was, you know, it, it seemed like we had three out of four limited formats that were favoring aggro and favoring very linear strategies, uh, without much room for creativity or without that many cards that, you know. Whether or not the the best decks would allow you to be creative or not, there just weren't like cards to play with. There weren't too much, there weren't too many options out there to uh, both play control and to be to be Johnny, right? To just do something silly. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, and then this set came along, and the first thing you notice is you know split cards are back, so you have a lot of options for 
two-for-ones, you know, that are inherent to the card. Um, top ends, like top end stabilizers are, are here, as opposed to gate crash, where, you know, you're mainly taking aggro cards of any guild, it seemed. Um, and, and mid-game stabilizers as well. And like, mid-game stabilizers, yeah. Like, two, two fours abound. Two, yeah, two fours with, uh, with upside. And two fours that create an incentive for you to get into three plus colors, which is, uh, you know, something that wasn't an incentive at all in the last draft format. Yeah, if you were de-incentivized to do that in the previous two sets. Exactly, yeah. Just, uh, you know, put your head down, take a guild, and just keep on taking it. And uh, take your bears, right? And it's just nice to not have to think about that again. Or not to know that that's not what the draft format is trying to make you do, at least from the outset, at least from the first pack. It's leaving you open to creativity, where you know there's going to be some fixing in some form in every pack for, I mean, just because clue stones seem to be somewhat undervalued, uh, probably like through the wheel until the last couple picks, like you're going to be able to get some form of fixing. Uh, gates being preferable, as you say, mid-game stabilizers and the uh, the gatekeeper cycles are, uh, are a priority. But yeah, it seems like Everyone that just wants to maybe screw around or play control or doesn't want to draft a bear now has a format where you can do that. Yeah, you definitely have the option more so now than you did in Gate Crash and Return to Ravnica. The option, yeah. I yeah. I should say the option because... I, I uh, do think aggressive decks are still quite viable and quite good in this format based upon yes. a very small sample size of experience, I'm, exactly. I will admit. Uh, but you are able to say, okay, I'm going to draft defenders, or I'm going to draft all these two fours and try to play for the late game and and curve out, or not curve out, but ramp into these big six, seven mana spells. And that's pretty exciting considering, like you said, that Gatecrash and Return to Ravnica didn't really let you do that. Yes. Now, I'm, I want to kind of go back and just say that I didn't think that Avis and Restored was that bad. I liked it more than most. Okay. Uh, I also think that uh, the Return to Ravnica was very good, and part of the reason why Gatecrash got so stale so fast was because Return to Ravnica taught us all the lessons we needed to learn to play Gatecrash, you know, which was stick to a guild, stick to a guild's strengths, and there you go. Like that, then then you have a deck, right? Yeah, I think the yeah the the subtle lesson from Gatecrash seemed to be that drafting a very quick um, gruel deck seemed to be a lot better. Like Taking Spire Tracer and Madcap skills and somehow getting there <laughs> was yeah. actually you know, viable as opposed to ramping into the bigger things. But yeah, yeah, it was very had a very similar feel between the two sets as to as to what sort of draft discipline you should have in sticking with your picks, mm-hmm. sticking with your guild. Now, so what so what do you think more about this new format? Like, how many times have you drafted it, and what strategies have you tried? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Have there been any cards that have stood out to you? Uh, yeah, this is, um, I've only had three drafts under my belt, so this is very much a first impression, and I have to agree with what you said, that it's doing, doing control, getting into three plus colors is, is viable, but from the small sample size that I've seen as well, the people that still drafted a two color, in some case, aggro deck, or the two with the splash, as I know you did the other day when you won a pod, uh, uh, one of our friends, one of the the usual, Sean, is done in back-to-back drafts, drafted two color decks and three owed both of them. Yep. That it still seems like that's that's very much there, but it doesn't. 
hopefully it won't prove to be still the best way to go. Hopefully that it's easy to do that, that it's easy to stay within a guild. It's easy to look at the two colors of the card and look at curve and pick the right card based on that. And that maybe the smaller differences between card strengths um, in the new set aren't that significant, so you just draft a good aggro deck. Well, as opposed to drafting, you know, three-plus color decks, you're having to watch base colors, mana fixing, uh, curve in a much broader sense. Right. Um, it's more, it, I feel like it's definitely more difficult to draft that format and, or, or that kind of deck, that archetype. So hopefully in the small sample size that we've seen, the aggro decks are getting there because they're, it's the speed test of the new car. They're just, people are seeing how fast they can make these decks. It's easier to do. It's easier to play while the control is inherently more difficult in most ways to draft and to play. So hopefully I'm just messing up and some other people are messing up and the really dirtily four color, five color decks are going to be there. So, are so win you're, you're hoping this. This I, is something that Ryan Hogan hopes. Yeah, exactly. Three drafts and not one draft of less than four colors. So like, yeah, I, I hope that's viable. I hope it's, I hope it's something that I could win with because it's something that I just want to generally, I generally want to do in a draft format when I can get as greedy as I can with multiple colors. And I know a lot of people want to do this and they want to have fun, but still have it be viable. They want to play, play, play the Johnny role, play the, the creative out of nowhere sort of win condition. The, the cards that were made for commander, you're somehow casting the seven, eight, <laughs> nine, ten mana spells and winning in limited. That's just, that's fun. That's what I want to do. And I hope it's, I hope it works. It's, I, re- I really hope it works so that I'm not banking on it being three O's all the time, but I can like feel pretty confident that I can do something silly and at least two one. Wins, and I know that's like games. Yes, exactly. Not feel like I'm always, I'm always just hoping for that one game. I'm not like going O2 into the last round and then just beating the other crap deck that's there or something like that. I want it to be, I want it to be good. And it's so far, it seems like it could be there. Yeah. The one big takeaway I've had so far is that typically you're going to draft a, a shard. You're going to draft a three color combination of some sort. And if you can focus that into two colors with like a light third color splash, that's fine. Uh, and that's, I th- I do think that that is probably still the best way to be drafting this format based upon my experience so far. But if you're, if you're kind of firmly in three colors, you typically want to stick to what the guild's identities are, uh, for the most part. So, like certain guilds or certain guild combinations lend themselves to a more aggressive deck versus a more controlling deck. And it, it's pretty much the way you would expect. So if you're playing Jund, which is Rakdos and Golgari and Gruul together, the fact that Rakdos and Gruul are both pretty aggressive uh, guilds means that you probably want to try to draft a somewhat aggressive deck if you're in that shard. Right. right. Meanwhile, if you're in Esper and you're drafting... Orzov and Demir and Azorius, you can definitely get away with, and you're probably incentivized to be more controlling in that shard. That's my big takeaway so far. Is kind of you look at what color combination you're in, and you look at what those guilds typically want to be doing, and that's that's where you should be going with your decks strategy, even though you're not necessarily drafting one guild. Now. The, the kind of bigger picture, 
thing to take away from that is that certain guild combinations don't necessarily work together super well. Or like that example I used with well, that example I used with Jun, where like two of the two of the three guilds were very aggressive, and the fact that Golgari has some aggressive cards and can just be like the support to put those other two guilds over the top, Uh like that makes sense. That's coherent. But if you look at something like um, what do you call it? Bug, black, blue, green. Mm-hmm. Which is like Simic and Golgari and Demir. Like, those three guilds don't necessarily all want to be doing the same things. And I'm not saying that that's a bad color combination all the time, but I think because that the identity of those three mixed together is a little more scatterbrained, that the, it, it makes that deck harder to draft. And I can and see that. Makes that deck harder to come together, uh, because you have different guilds pulling you in different directions. Okay, yeah, I could see, uh, just thinking about those drafts that, uh, Simic seems to be, or that, um, or thinking about Bug, those three colors, that Simic seems to be the one that would, that would stand out and just not have much of a place in the kind of, the slow, grindy game that you generally want to do with Demir and Golgari. Yeah, and you, and you kind of think about, like, each individual guild, like, what, what does each guild want to do? And there are certain ones that could kind of go either way, like, is it's another one where, is it not never necessarily was an aggro or a control strategy? If anything, it was like a combo almost where you would try to do large amounts of damage in big chunks, you know, like all at once with mm-hmm. a teleportal or cobble brute with a pursuit of flight. And because it's so such a like narrow of a, of a method of winning a game, it doesn't necessarily play particularly well with other guilds all the time. And that makes it trickier to draft any color combination that involves blue-red or with Simic blue-green. And you'll notice that a lot of these guilds, the ones that kind of, like, waffle between being more controlling and more aggro, yeah, those those often are the blue guilds. And I think that that's, that means that drafting blue is more difficult than drafting other colors. And Which I'm sure a lot of blue mages... Sorry, I'm cutting you off. No, go ahead. I mean, your point is valid. I was going to say, a lot of blue mages, I think, would... Would would welcome that challenge. To, exactly. Yeah, to find the proper way. Like maybe it's just a it's a harder car to drive, but it um it rewards a skilled driver, something right. like that. Where there are certain people who love to draft mono blue and cube. I'm not one of those people. I'm the guy who would rather draft mono red. And <laughs> you kind of really? Uh, yeah, I think so. I, I, think... I feel like I don't know you right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think cube is actually a really good corollary in the sense that. Blue is like the, the hardest color to like kind of put together necessarily because it has a lot of moving parts and like they all do different things. Whereas like the mono red deck and I, I think this applies to DGR draft. If you focus on red cards, all the red guilds want to do the same thing. They just want to beat down. They want to attack. You know, is it is the closest thing to not wanting to do that. And even then, like some of the is it cards are very good aggro cards. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Blister core weird. I mean, or. What's it called? The what's the one four weird? I'm blanking on its name. Is that Blister Core? Frostburn weird. Frostburn weird. Okay, yeah. So yeah, that card is. This is what I'm talking about, though. So like the blue identity in Dragon's Maze Limited is a little more kind of undefined, and therefore it makes those decks harder to draft. That's not to say that you can't draft a good blue deck, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I've um. I'm trying to think. What's the blue deck I've seen win? 
uh, it was an Esper deck. I've seen an Esper control deck win. Yep. Otherwise, it's been all aggro in all the pods so far. It's all it's been the two color with a splash or the two color strictly aggro deck. Yeah, either Orzov or uh, Gruul have been the two uh, single guild decks that I've seen win. But but yeah, I can I can see what you're saying about blue, but it now has in uh, probably an even more questionable identity. It seems with more controlling cards, or is it in particular? In uh, in Dragon's Mates, I'm thinking of, in particular, like probably a first pickable uncommon, the uh, what was it Blast of Genius? Blast O Genius. Yeah, kill their hopefully kill their best creature and draw, draw a couple cards. cards in the process. Yeah, yeah that card is sweet. <laughs> Absolutely, I mean it's been basically everything, everything you seem to want in a card that's going to stabilize your top end. Yeah. Like, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm really I'm curious. I'm curious to see just how successful the blue drafters are going to be. If there's if you just have to be much more controlling and you just have to neglect the aggro cards, or if blue can still be part of an aggro deck, if Simic's going to be viable as part of the aggro bug deck, possibly. I mean, just in the same way that, like, when we were first drafting Gatecrash, uh, Demir wasn't maybe so obvious to everyone that it was actually a very good aggro uh, deck, or yeah. maybe not a very good one, but like getting the the fairy, the uh, the two two unblockable rogue with the death cult rogue and some shadow slice. Yeah, it had the actually like, seemed like the best strategy. I mean, it wasn't any of the nonsense milling options that it gave you. Right. Yeah. Which definitely w- proves your point once again that there was distinctly two strategies in a blue guild in Demir. As opposed to as opposed to Boros and as opposed to say Orzov and Gruul, which became like much more obvious as to what you should do. It gave you two options. It gave you multiple ways that you can go. Which if anything is just making it a more a more rich draft format, so long as both those options are viable. Yeah. I'm I've been really impressed with it so far. I've seen controlling decks do well, I've seen aggro decks do well. We got a couple drafts in at the GP and we've drafted a few times here at home and I really, I'm really excited just about the possibilities, and I think that we're going to be drafting this format with a lot of replay value for a long time, which is pretty incredible considering how little replay value Return to Ravnica and Gatecrash especially had, you know? Yeah, yeah. Speaking of possibilities... Really ties I, the room together. <laughs> I, want to, I want to do some pick-a-cards. And yeah, yeah, let's this, do it. We're, we're like I, like I said at the top of the show, we're going to keep this episode brief uh, just because it's getting kind of late and the set is new and we don't want to go too deep on something without a whole lot more experience. Um, okay. So I'm just going to run through some cards. I don't know how many of these you've played with or against, but yeah, just kind of go, go with your gut, I guess, and, and let me let me know what you think because I'm yeah. curious. Sounds All right. great. Pick a card, Crawl Warrior or Pilfered Plans. And if you need, do you mean to tell you what any of these do? Just let me know. Crawl warrior. Was it? That's that's the bear that if you pay six mana, oh, it gets plus yeah. three plus three till end of turn. Yeah, and, yeah. The and pilfered the plans. Bear with upside. Yeah. And pilfered plans is the two instants or sorceries. Is that right? No, it's. Or that's uh, the draw two mill two. Draw two mill two for right, one blue black. Right. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the draw two mill two. I mean, <laughs> this is definitely from everything I've just said. This is like clearly gonna be a personal preference as well, but. Yeah, Crawl Warrior kind of has a. It's actually got a soft spot 
because it reminds me so much of I want to say it was Sky Skyward Night or something like that. The first draft that I ever did was in Shards Block, and it was the the white bear that uh, pumped for four mana, okay, plus two plus two. Oh yeah, it was just a staple in triple shards Naya beats. So yeah, a bear with upside is kind of where I started, but yeah, a bear with the top end. I mean, being able to pump for a five five or pump two of five five is that's significant. I mean, by turn six, if that's coming in, essentially five five haste. In a gruel deck, yeah, that's probably probably eating a guy if things are going well, or yeah, pushing you pushing you one turn closer to that victory, one turn away. Just... Did you did you really start drafting in shards block? Uh, drafting seriously, I should oh, okay. say. Um, I right. drafted a few times online before, probably like four or five, maybe a little bit more of uh, the original Ravnica block, and the same for about Kamigawa, and one Mirrodin draft in there, but. Okay. But no, no, that for was, some reason, that I was thought you'd been drafting for longer. Anyway, all right, yep. let's keep going. Uh, Pilfered Plans or Ma of the Obsidot? Oh, gonna have, I have to go with Ma. It just seems like that's a card that could easily be abused and win outright. It seems it seems like a, as close to a bomb as you're going to get with an uncommon. Well, Pilfered Plans seems like a, a good piece in an engine, maybe in that bug deck where you're trying to mill yourself and get guys into the yard, or you're actually maybe actually... Trying to mill them, although I haven't seen someone try to do that outside of me with my lone doorkeeper and like ten defenders the other day. I tried that last night. It did not go well. Oh, that's what you were doing. I didn't <laughs> see your deck. <laughs> I, I had one doorkeeper and I I really thought I was gonna wheel another one and it didn't happen. Someone snagged it from me before Didn't it could me. come back. It wasn't you. I think it was Ian. And he just wanted it as an 4 which was really disappointing. Yeah, I was hoping it was right. somebody else who at least wanted to, wanted to mill, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Didn't just, just want a, a, a 4 wall there. 6-6-6 six, okay. six, six mana base. Six. Yeah, he, he didn't need that. So you like the Maw, just as a like, kind of like a 3-3 three, three for 5 with, with some upside on an ability? Yeah, it seems like there's enough... Um, I mean, just going into pack two, you're probably taking quite a bit of dudes anyway. If you're taking that in pack one, and you're taking, say, just Orzhov cards in pack two, um, you're going to have a lot of guys, with, preferably with Extort, and then some guys that are just going to be... It's like the 2-2 rat, right? The 2-2 rat that was fine. The 2-2, the bear, the rat bear with... Yeah, zombie rat bear. Zombie rat bear, yeah. Gutter skull. <laughs> that guy was... Yeah, gutter skull. Like, that guy was fine. Cheap little creatures that trigger extort are fine, but maybe their usefulness uh, after they've entered the battlefield, or after they've, well, I guess, been on the stack, is not going to be all that significant as they're just sitting there. So it seems like that as the top end of any sort of heavy extort deck is is amazing. Because, like, what does extort want other than cheap, or it wants cheap spells. And then what do those cheap spells do when they're on the board? You have a swarm, turn that swarm into... Uh, a righteous charge, you know, a righteous charge that you can pop off whenever you want, or save guys from burn spells. Doesn't cost mana. Like just having that option, plus one, plus one, pretty much at any point in time, if it calls for it on a creature, is going to be pretty significant. Just given, especially the type of removal that are in this format, which is largely, you know, damage based or minus X, minus X based. Yeah. So, yeah, I um, I am really excited for that card. Very excited for that card. Okay, I see. I, I'm skeptic that it, skeptical that it's going to be good, but you you might have talked me into it. I like it more now that I've heard you kind of 
at least you've painted a picture of how that card could be abused. And cause yeah. that was, I guess really what I was missing was like, how, how is this good? Cause I don't want to sacrifice my creatures very often. I mean, I understand that giving plus one plus one to the team is, is good, but I don't know it, it, to put it, when you put it that way in the sense where you have a lot of small creatures anyway, because you're extorting. Yeah. If you, you can get a lot of value out of that. Okay, cool. And then uh, how about with uh, all the traitorous bloods or the traitorous or treachery effects? Yeah, or there's a, an act of treason, and then there's the one from Return of Revenue. Yeah. yeah. There you go. There's a, there's a plan. Okay, next up, Mob the Obzadot or Rakdos Drake, which is the 1-2 flying unleash for 3 mana. I'm going to have to go with the Obzadot. I mean, at least for if you're picking in pack 1, I would rather just start taking upside rather than... Uh, efficient dude. Just an efficient dude. Yeah, because it, it seems like you always are going to unleash that guy like that's that's some creature that you're just not going to leave uh leave on the leash right a one two flyer for three that'd be really bad yeah 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 i mean like how many bird tokens do they have to have on the board (laughs) where that is definitely the right play and even then it's probably not because you can only block one of them at a time (laughs) Yeah, exactly anyway all right well let's keep going uh maw of the obsidian or battering crisis i i mean that's I, the the trample evolve guy. That's right? correct. Like another. I'm gonna have to go with the. the yeah, Mog I mean, let's. We're just we're just moving. The Mog can win the game. These guys are just two efficient creatures that I'm sure are gonna be staples in the archetypes in the curve, but aren't gonna win you. Game, yeah. So. Now, Ryan, tell me if I'm wrong, but you're a fan of milling yourself, aren't you? Oh, <laughs> I'll mill anybody. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Ma. Right, so. The other card that mills. <laughs> I'll go with that card. Ma of the Obsidot or Drown in Filth. Oh, um, I really want to play Drown in Filth. Um, from the uh, from the drafts I've done online and from how I've seen it wheel around, I can understand why. I can understand why you don't take that card highly. I completely understand because like the payoff seems to be in pack three, right? Where you've yep maybe like you're. You're getting yourself into bug, is I think the idea. And with your balustrade spy and your pilfered plans and these other effects, you're gonna you're gonna mill yourself. And that's just in the first couple of packs. But you're really getting cards into the yard uh, in Golgari in the last pack. So you're taking what could be a removal spell that does absolutely nothing, <laughs> <laughs> depending on what's opened in uh, the last pack, primarily in the last pack. So that's that seems very risky, but on the other end of things, like if you do get there and you have the Golgari bug deck and you have a two mana removal spell that could potentially just get any creature, really, for the first so many turns, or if you're really milling yourself, kill any creature. There there isn't many removal spells in the format, or maybe there aren't any removal spells outside of was it Grizzly Spectacle that just like kills a creature. And if you can do that for two, and yeah, yeah, I could um I could see myself taking it over the maw and being very convinced I made a bad risky move. <laughs> yeah, okay. But you so yeah. you're gonna stick with the maw? I would stick with the maw, but I would like to take the drown. Yeah. Okay. Uh, in the next draft, if you see a maw and I pass to you, <laughs> just know I probably took a drown. <laughs> Alright. Quick uh quick aside, I mean one thing I will note about the drown and filth is that I've noticed that a lot of my decks in this format want eighteen lands, and that does make the value of this card go up a very small amount. I mean, it's not, it's probably trivial, but it's not, it's, it's worth mentioning, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Okay. L- last up, uh, Ma of the Obsidot or Weapon Surge, which is the red instant. Strike. 
First Strike Overloader, yeah. Uh, once again, I'll go with the Maw. I think that card seems very good. It seems like... I think it, it is if very the decks, good. If the decks that are good are largely creature-based, and you're going to have quite a bit of combat with the potential for blocking... I mean, figuring if you're playing red, there's a good chance that on the colors that you're playing, most of your creatures are going to be on the ground. Right? I mean, just thinking of most of the Boros cards... The Boros Guild cards were on the ground. Most of the Rakdos cards were on the ground. So the first strike could become a lot more relevant because they're potentially blocking you a bit more. Yeah, I, I think the card is just straight good. I would run it. I would run the first copy in any red deck if I was, like, base red. All right, so Ma and was... You, what a, were you going to take, though? Just just quick question. you take the Ma or do you take the Weapon Surge? You know, I would probably take the Weapon Surge or the Rakdos Drake. And, again, that kind of tells you okay. about the kind of drafter that I am, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. But, but after what you said about Mob the Obes, that I, I probably, like, I want to play with that card now and g- give it more of a chance because on my f- initial impression, I was like, ah, that card just doesn't seem good enough for me for five mana. But maybe it is. And I think what I didn't mention earlier is that the two best standalone guilds for the individual drafts for uh, Return and Gatecrash were... Celestia and uh, Orzov. I think by most people's account, that seem to be those seem to be the best ones. Yeah, or the card stands out in those colors, where you have token makers. You can have multiple dudes off multiple cards or single cards, and you have therefore like more options to sacrifice, more dudes to pump. Yeah. So it seems like it seems just great. No, that's that's a good point. Um, All right, so let's jump into the next list here. This one, uh, I'm going to tone down the power level a little bit, at least at first. All right, so next up, this is uh, list number two. This is a short one. Power level's coming down a little bit. Uh, pick a card, Wake the Reflections, which is the one-mana Populate Sorcery, or Murmuring Phantasm, which is the 05 Defender for one oh, and blue. Well, definitely the 05. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not even a question. I mean, Doorkeeper was fine just as an 04 to stop... Most of the, I mean, most of Rakdos that was on the ground in uh, in return, and most of Celestia, like it, just being able to block the three power guys was very critical. If Rakdos and Celestia were the two decks that could just start beating you right out of the gates, and they're making centaurs and they're unleashing revelers and whatnot and uh, chainwalkers, yeah, just having an O4 was critical. So yeah. An O five, even if it doesn't has have the sweet, you know, doorkeeper upside, seems seems excellent. So seems ha- really, really, it's perfectly fine if you're treating blue as the control color that it wants to be. That seems like a a, a perfectly fine roadblock. Okay, how do you feel about populate in general in the format? Uh, I can't remember even how many tokens were made in Gate Crash. Do you? Uh, what, what tokens were made in Gatecrash? Nightwatch, and then Green had a numbered. Green had, like, Miming Slime, and uh, there were a couple other ones in Green. But... Miming Slime. Oh, right, the Simic card the uh, that makes the X... XX, XX equal to the greatest power. Yeah. You know? It wasn't... Yeah. There weren't that many. And there weren't that many. And there aren't that many in the new set, really, either. I mean, from what I've seen, Populate, just as a mechanic, which... In Return of Ravnica, it was one of the best mechanics. Like, now is one of the worst, I think. Yeah. Where I think it's... It was much better when it's tossed on the card where it's, you know, prevent the combat damage to creatures you control or the, what was it, Druid's Deliverance or creatures are indestructible. 
and the populate was the the upside where you didn't necessarily have to play the card you really wanted to play it for populate as well um in a lot of cases but the card was good on its own or you had so many tokens that populate was extra critical and the other part of the spell was the icing on the cake but I, from what i've seen they just had your chance to draft a dedicated token deck or a deck that was going to just have enough tokens that it was remotely worthwhile to have one card that only did only populated uh, it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem playable yeah i um, mean there will be a deck where it's really good but i just think that deck is going to be really hard to get yeah i should right. say it doesn't seem playable i think it's like it's being properly disregarded by everyone i know and you're probably <laughs> just going to get one in the last few picks and then maybe you fall into the deck that makes it makes it good but it, then it would just be you know you're playing it coincidentally you're not trying to take it early because you're definitely not going to be able to force that archetype, right? You can't send that signal in pack one or pack two. Someone can easily just be in Celestia in pack three and take the populate cards just because they're good, or take yep. the token maker cards just because they're good. Yep. All right, so you're on the defender here. I'm going to put it up against another defender, Hired Torturer. Do <laughs> oh, uh, oh, Hired Torturer, the Bad Vent Sentinel. Um, <laughs> you still have to go with the, the 05. I think 2, 3, for 4, even if it's going to... Potentially win you the oh, game. Oh, it's 2-3 three for 3. Higher Torture? Yeah, it only costs 3 mana. It costs 4 to activate the ability. Oh. Yeah, it's still not that good. Uh. It's still, I think it's still better than Murmuring Phantasm. Really? Yeah. Hmm. I, I mean, it blocks pretty well. It doesn't block everything that the Phantasm blocks, but at least it can deal damage, you know? Not only to creatures while it's blocking, but also to your opponent when you have 4 available mana. Okay, that's not necessarily what I'm what I'm going for in uh, in guys that can just block. You know, like I, I want to get early efficient roadblocks and then start playing, you know, two for ones, real powerful spells coming on four or five and above. I mean, to be honest, I'm probably going to draft just ridiculously dirtily decks where all my two drops are coming down turn three because I have all guild gates. <laughs> so like, I probably can't afford two threes on turn four as my way to, you know. So you need that card to have a big old ass. That's what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Come down early and have a big old ass. All right, uh, let's keep going. Murmuring Phantasm or Bronzebeak Moa, which is the uncommon. It's 2-2 for 4, and whenever another creature enters the battlefield under your control, the Moa gets plus 3, plus 3 until end of turn. Yeah, that card seems great. Uh, That card seems very good. I mean, just it's going to be a 5-5 beater. Even if it's just a 5-5 beater for a couple turns, that's still enough turns. Right? I mean, if you, if you play that on curve. I've been underwhelmed by it. Five, six. Really? Yeah. I mean, I ha- five, five, uh, it, it gets past the, uh, the phantasm. It gets past, gets past most things that you can play early. I mean, what has a six butt other than the, the hover barrier? I think what bugs me about it is that when you're not attacking with it, when it gets back to your opponent's turn, mugging still kills it. You know what I mean? Like, you, you're still getting, of like a 2-2 two, two for 4 for your opponent to potentially remove. And it's easy to kill a 2-2, two, two, you know? And to, like, take that... Like, yeah, you can definitely get, like, a lot of damage in with it if you're attacking, but if they have, like, just a any mediocre, reasonable answer, they can take it out pretty easily. And, like, I don't like my 4-drops to be that fragile, I think. I think that's okay. what I don't like about it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Uh, I'm not saying it's less. not the pick, because I do think it's probably the best card I've mentioned so far, but I do think that it might be slightly overrated based upon how easy it is to deal with. Okay. 
Uh, at least on the upside. I mean, a stab wound kills it, and it doesn't just kill you. That's, that's fair. It's very <laughs> nice fair. to have your 5-5 your five, five beater that doesn't just, like, you know, become a 3-3 three, three thing that's easily blocked and kills you. Yeah. Yeah. So you're taking the MOA? I would take the MOA. I mean, I if I saw the two cards in a pack, knowing what I'm drafting, I'm taking the 0-5. But I think the MOA is the pick. I think the MOA's got enough going for it, especially because... I think there's enough cards that make there's enough cards that make two dudes that you can prioritize later on that uh could really just make it a huge beating on certain yeah. turns. I mean that's the other thing about it is that it doesn't have evasion, doesn't have trample. You can still chump block it on the turns when they do make it really, really big. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a great proposition. Like chump blocking is never something you yeah. actively want to do, but exactly like there are ways of dealing with the MOA, and I think that some people might see the upside of the card and overlook those downsides. Um, last okay. up here is Bronzebeak Moa versus Morgue Burst. Morgue Burst. Morgue. Oh, that's the the blue black uncommon, right? Nope, it's a red black common. <laughs> All right, what is this? It's a six mana sorcery, four a black and a red. Return right. target creature card from your graveyard to your hand, and it deals damage to target creature or player equal to the power of that card. That's a tough one to evaluate. I I, I don't see that being. Something that I pick highly if I'm doing Rakdos. It seems like that's Rakdos with what what other color are you playing that with? Is that is this the Jun deck where you're gonna have you're gonna be milling yourself quite a bit and you're gonna have some guys that don't have um I want to say scavenge. Yeah, it's definitely more of a control card. I think it can work in Grixis if you kind of just get all the removal and like some efficient dudes or just big dudes and you just kill everything your opponent plays, and maybe they have a removal spell for your best creature, but then you Morgue Burst it back and maybe Dome them or kill one of their creatures. It's just like a good value play. It's just very expensive. It is. It is. So you have mm. to get to the late game. You have to be playing towards like a longer game, I think. The ability to just to like Dome your opponent out of nowhere, I found to be very good on this card. Yeah, the fact that they can go to players seems... Pretty That's strong. Push it over the edge. Um, I'm still going to go with the Moa just because I'm so uncertain. I can't like, I can't say one way or another how how good this card will be. But I'm certain that it's I'm certain that it's not necessarily a high pick for the Rakdos deck. I mean, just being able to burn him, maybe even if it's burned for six, is that still is that still good enough? Especially because a lot of the Rakdos cards, you know, they don't actually have a very big power <laughs> in the first place. Especially with right. a leash counting for another point of their power. Right. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily a good tool for a dedicated Rakdos aggro deck. I just think that it's a a good like supplemental plan if you end up in a controlling strategy that happens to be playing black and red. That happens to be playing black. And red. Yeah. Okay. Because you can splash for either half of it. You know, it's it's a late That's enough true. game spell to the point where you Very don't true. need that that splash color right away. Very true. My gut will say to go with the MOA, because the MOA seems very fitting what Celestia is going to do, and what Celestia paired with another color might be doing, which is probably going to be fairly aggro and fairly creature-based, where a lot of Celestia's strengths were not only in Populate, making multiple dudes in one one turn, but also having a bunch of pump spells as well. So, yeah, you have the incentive to draft a lot of dudes. The MOA is with that incentive. It's true to the guild. I'll I'll go with the MOA again on this. Okay. Um, I would really love to see this question again next month. Uh, yeah. Talk about this and see where we stand then. Okay. Well, let's try to remember to revisit it, but no promises. All right. I have one more list here. Let's try and get the, through this one quick, and then we'll wrap things up. Uh, pick a card. Vyashino First Blade. 
which uh-huh. is the that, two two for three that gets plus two plus two in haste. Yeah. Yeah. Versus Zerta Druid, which is the one one for a red and a green that taps for a green, but also deals the damage when it taps. That's tough. Two to I, an I, opponent, I think those not are probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think those are probably the two best common creatures in those guilds in Dragon's Maze. W- would you agree with that? I mean, yes, I would, specifically because this list is kind of dedicated to those types of cards. Gotcha. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> good list, good list. Yeah, uh, you, we have we have some purpose here that uh, hopefully will come to, come to light by the end of the list. I'm going to go with the Druid. Uh, I'm going to go with the Druid just because I think it can... It would shine in just because it ramps and can be inevitable damage and and is a pinker, which I'm thinking back to like Goblin Fire Slinger and how good Lobber Crew was. It seems like being able to ping in this format when boards could get stalled, if there is going to still be like quite an emphasis on creature combat, um, or or more so on like on on stalled boards. That yeah, having the pinger. Seems like that would push it over the top, even though bursting out for for four and having Boros be like being really dependent on having multiple dudes, especially haste dudes, to trigger battalion out of nowhere, are important. Um, but yeah, Boros doesn't seem quite as good as it was before. Yeah, I think it's definitely a little bit or, worse. I would probably draft- still take the first blade here, but I do like yeah. the Druid. Okay, I think it's very close. I, I don't think there's a wrong pick. It's just a preference at this point. I think I think so. I mean, it might be in like you say in a month we might think that one is definitely better, uh, but for now I'm still taking the first blade, if only because the Zerta Druid at, at red green for a one one ramp creature isn't always something you're going to be able to cast on turn two or bear with me turn three if you played a guild gate, yeah. you know. Yeah. So the mana is awkward, and I, I think that uh, I mean while it does do something late game, like you said, just being able to ping. The first blade might just do more in the late game as a 4-4 threat out of nowhere, but I, I think it's very close. Okay. okay next up is uh, Zerta Druid or Spike Jester. Speaking of haste, guys, this is the 3-1 haste for red and a black. Ooh. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, I'm gonna go with the 3-1 haster actually here. I know it's uh, it dies to quite a bit. I know. Um, <laughs> you just you just said no to the 4-4 haster, and now you're going with the 3-1 haster. I like it. But it, but it, wait, it's it's strictly red and the black. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's always got three power. But it comes down at turn two. It's yes, it does. Much more significant, I think, than coming down turn three. And Rakdos still seems. Rakdos is great still. I think Rakdos I think, is still great. I think so. I think being is, in red is. I think red is the best color in this format. I'm just okay. going to go out there and I'm going to put that out there. Okay, I, I would say I was going to go with that because it's truer to what its guild is trying to do. I think than the druid is. The druid adds some more versatility, so I think I might, knowing what I'm going to draft, I would be more. In, I'd be more inclined to take the druid, but I think a three-one haster in Rakdos. Is uh is exactly what you want to be doing. Um, I mean, when you want to overload on two drops, and three power being a critical mark in being able to trade with someone like Celestia's cards, absolutely trade the, the three threes that are running around. Even if it does die to a lot of things, that's not really any different from any of Rakdos's other cards. Well, and it only costs you two mana to play it. So if they do spend a removal spell on it, it's not that big of a deal. 
Yeah. And how many times would like would you play Rakdos Shred Freak and you just really wanted it to be a three one? <laughs> totally. Like, the two power was just not good enough to get in there, and then the one toughness just became a liability later on. So yeah, yeah, I'll go with the I'll go with the three one. Okay, I like it. I'm surprised you did that after you passed on the first blade. But um Alright, next up is Spike Jester or Tithe Drinker, which is the Orzov two drop. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll go with the Tithe Drinker. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that card seems. I mean, just the card is I, so I good. We, yeah, we've all fallen victim to enough extort at this point in time where you realize like just how much damage that can represent. Yeah, and just how how swinging can be that all of their bears are gaining them a bunch of life too. So when you're trying to race them with your three one haster and he's got you know a guy that's hitting for more or less just as much but gaining a life each turn as well. Yep. Yeah, that's um. The card yeah, is... I'm gonna have to go with the Tidrick. I think that's arguably fine as a first pick, given the strength of Orzov. Agree. I've I was playing with it the other day, and I attacked or blocked or something, and I and my and my opponent was like, "And you go to 15 or whatever." And I'm like, "Wait, why?" It's like your Tide Drinker. I'm like, "I didn't extort." It's like it has lifelink, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like I thought this card was so good already, and I totally forgot that it had lifelink. And yeah. Holy shit! I didn't even say that in what I just said. That you're getting a life return. No, you're getting yeah, you're, three you're, life return. Yeah. Yeah, it's like five. Actually. It's like a five-one almost on certain turns. You know, like so you good. bash for two, you extort, and you drain, and you gain two life if you yeah. if you hit with it. Like the it's probably it's. I mean, I'm I'm picking it too. It's definitely the card I think that's best on this list. And it just um, clowns the Rakdos cards that aren't blocking it. Just clowns them. Yeah, it like, clowns them hard. <laughs> what are they gonna do? All right, so we we know that Tide Drinker is great. Now here's kind of where the list all kind of gets interesting for me. Tithe Drinker or Fatal Fumes, which is the four the mana instant, fatal. minus four, minus two, till end of turn to a creature. Yeah, yeah, which is just the black card, so you're looking for something that's like a bit more safer. It's the safe removal spell. It's a safe I removal think... spell. It's kind of expensive. Do you take that over any of these creatures? I I think so. I think uh, over some of them, if not all of them. Uh, okay. It's minus four, minus two, right? That's right. And minus I found that that does not kill enough on its own like you often have to use this in combat to make it a true removal spell yeah yeah minus four minus two it was minus four minus three i think three would be once again the mark that i'm really trying to get especially i'm going to pay four for my removal spell i would just take the tithe drinker i think extort is as an ability on anything that's reasonably efficient uh just good enough like a syndic of tithes turned out to be just you know pretty amazing yeah and then you take off Point of Toughness and give it Lifelink as well in a format where there's a good chance that you might be... Hope, hopefully not too many games come down to races, but it looks like it, it could come that way. Yeah, I would um, I would, I would would go with a Tithe Drinker. I think if Orzov still proves to be just as strong a guild as it was before, and if that proves to be, um, proves to be worth just trying to stake your claim to that guild right away, that it's worth just going in on and sending the best signals, the clearest signals. So you're not, especially if you're picking this early on, you're taking the fumes and then you're passing a syndicate tithe, or excuse me, <laughs> if you're passing the tithe drinker. Yeah. It sends a pretty bad signal that you are not getting into the best guild, if it still is the best guild. Okay. So, so, I mean, so I guess here's here's my follow-up question is, what creatures on this list would you take the Fatal Fumes over? Would you take, would it, over take it over Spike Chester? Uh, 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I would take it over Spike Jester. Okay, and then from that, I, I could probably infer Jester, that you would take runner. it over all of them, except for the time yes. taker. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So yeah, that's a good good way to look at it. Um, I, th- I think that's fair. And I think I agree. I'm pretty sure. I don't know if I agree with the way you have the creatures ranked necessarily, <laughs> but I do agree that I would take Tide like Drinker out of this list, and Fatal Fumes is probably my second favorite card. Gotcha, gotcha. And then the runner goes over the Druid, and yeah, I don't know which one of the the runner or the Jester I like more, and it might just come down to color preference eventually. Okay, but it's hard that's, to say. That's fair. Okay. Good list. I know. I, I was I was pretty proud of that one. Not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm now I'm bragging for reals. Um, all right, well I want to wrap things up because I wanted to keep this one short. We're under an hour, which is a good thing, and uh, hopefully Jeff will be on soon to uh, discuss some of the ideas and thoughts he's had about the format. Uh, hopefully he's been drafting it some some this week, if not copious amounts. But um, yeah, he'll be back soon. And in the meantime, if you want to get a hold of us, you can email us eastwestdraftcast at gmail dot com. You can find me on Twitter at EWDraftCast. Jeff's handle is at JeffEWDC. Ryan is not on Twitter because he is a chump. And (laughs) you can uh, find us on Facebook at Facebook.com backslash EWDraftCast. We have a website, EastWestDraftCast.com. And you can always post something in the comments on MTGCast. Uh, And I, I tend to check that once or twice a week just to see if anybody's Throwing anything on there, asking questions or anything like that. Um, haven't seen anything on in the comments there in a long time. But if you're into that, post it, and I'll try to get back to you. Uh, Ryan, is there any way that people can contact you if they want to? Uh, carry a pigeon. Okay. I fear technology. All right, right on. Um, that's all good. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate yeah, the, uh, the yeah, input. Pleasure, it's always good to have you on. Thanks, buddy. Back at you. I'm looking forward to a, uh, a forcing the issue in this format very soon because now that we can play all the colors we can play we can force any deck so that's pretty yeah. fun. I don't even call it forcing the issue anymore I just I just drafted it right, right, right <laughs> just calls it drafting the all the walls yeah. drafting exactly alright well until next time listeners thanks for uh, hanging out with us we'll catch you next time adios